Greetings, Voyagers. Welcome to the Voyages of Tim Vetter podcast. This is episode number 277. And this episode was recorded in Mostar in the southwest part of Bosnia and Herzegovina. And this conversation is with the artist Enes Zolcevic. He's an artist and an art teacher living in Mostar. We were able to meet him at a restaurant cafe right directly over the river and then go to a bar and cafe after that. And have, we really had a great time getting to learn about the city through his lens and through his experiences. A lot of people, and I think I might have mentioned this in the intro to the last episode, but a lot of people will take a, a bus from Dubrovnik or some of the surrounding areas into Mostar and they'll go and they'll see the bridge and they'll take their picture and eat at a cafe and leave. We wanted to see beyond that and learn more about Mostar and this was the perfect way to do that. He's a really cool guy and a really knowledgeable guy. Uh, I'll have a link to his website um, in the description in whatever player you're listening to this in. I always recommend pulling that up while you listen so that when we reference a specific body of work that he has done, you can see exactly what we're talking about. Uh, Even pause and take a look at that and kind of interpret it yourself before going back into the conversation that we're having. Uh, If you can't do that, still check out his website after the fact because there's a wonderful picture of everything that we're talking about. After Mostar, we took, what was it? Was that the long one? No, no. We took a bus to Sarajevo, really important city historically. We were able to go to the spot where the Archduke Franz Ferdinand was shot at the, just beyond the Latin bridge over the river in that city. Really cool place. Um, We were there on July 11th which was the anniversary of a genocide that had occurred that we weren't even aware of uh, occurring. It's just sad being that we both teach history. Um, But there's a gallery there called the 11795 Gallery that we were able to educate ourselves with. Um, In 1995, 8,000 Bosniak Muslim men, women, and children were purposefully and systematically uh, targeted and massacred by the Serbian army at the time. Uh, And the fact that they were sought out for their specific religion and ethnicity and the fact that it was systematic meet the conditions internationally for um, what is considered a genocide. And that museum was really heartbreaking. Uh, There's like a 45-minute video there it's, I don't even know how to describe it. Uh, you should look it up online. It's, I'll, I'll spell it for you, S-R-E-B-R-E-N-I-C-A, and then Massacre. So Srebrenica Massacre. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm glad we learned about it. I'm a little bit ashamed that we hadn't known prior, but really a, a tragic and horrifying event in history that was kind of recent. So... Sarajevo was both cool and um, a bit dark because of that uh, and because we were there on the anniversary of it. People were wearing these flowers uh, on their lapel as you know, as a way of, of remembrance on that day and you could see people all over the city wearing them. 
Uh, yeah, so from there we took a very long nine-ish, nine-and-a-half-hour bus to Zagreb, where we are now. And I'm going to be doing an episode from here as well. Uh, but I'll stop blabbering for now. Um, remember, go to the, to the description to see the notes and the link to Ennis's website. And I'll also have a link to my Instagram and to my Patreon account where you can give monthly and get cool kickbacks like shirts and stickers, postcards from around the world. I've sent out two rounds of them so far. Uh, where was I? In Ireland and in Croatia. So next round, I think, is going to be Slovenia, where we'll be heading after Zagreb. So, whew, yeah, we've been moving, seen a lot so far. Uh, still have, I think, four locations left before we return back to the States in August. So life is good. Okay, signing off on this intro. Enjoy this conversation with Ennis. So I'm super appreciative that we get to sit down with you and learn from you and talk to you. So thank you, first of all, for doing this. Well, thank you for looking me up. Yeah. Um, so you're born and raised in Mostar. Yes, I was born here. My family's been here, I don't know, since the city's basically existed. And then very briefly, during the uh, war in the 90s, basically right at the end of the war, we managed to flee uh, Mostar. So I had uh, I have had the experience of being in a war and then also the refugee experience. Yeah. Um, so, but that was a two-year period. Then we came back right away when the war, <coughs> excuse me, when the war ended, and I've been here ever since. Where, uh, which country did you go to as a refugee? Well, we ended up in Switzerland, but it was a very long journey. Um, and we ended up in Switzerland, the German-speaking part. Mm. And then we stayed there. I went there to school for two years. And then we came back in 96, on my birthday, actually. Wow. 96, yeah. Um, we're, well, we're, I should probably mention we're sampling uh, some Bosnian coffee here. This looks awesome. I, I mean, normally, you know, I get to do this all around the world. And I usually start with, you know, what was it like growing up <laughs> wherever you are? Um, it was a, <laughs> sorry, was that the question? Or? Well, yeah, I mean, I guess what I'm struggling to sort of say is like, maybe that's a bit of an awkward question because, you know, we're talking about war at a very early age. Um, I guess maybe before we even speak about that, like, was, was there any sort of sense of your childhood that felt um, that the war wasn't a pervasive thing that sort of felt like normal day-to-day life? Well, first of all, growing up here was great. It was, I don't know, I guess the same as anywhere else, pretty much, mm. you know. Because you have to understand that the way the system worked back then, well, let's use the word system, um, everyone was more or less working class, you know, like middle class people. So we would go, as you know, the coast, the Adriatic coast is an hour from here. Mm. So we would go on day trips to the coast and we would go, to, you know, my grandfather and my father both loved, you know, the outdoors, so we would go hiking, we'd go fishing and stuff like that. And then we have this, you know, nice looking little city. Um, and it was a normal childhood. And then, as you said, when you're a kid, when you're seven, eight years old, and then, the, you know, suddenly a war breaks out, you have no concept of what that actually is. Yeah. 
and that people could be that evil and you know all of that stuff so yeah your world just you know crashes completely mm. and I should maybe mention even though this is a very small city there's about a hundred thousand people living here same as you know 30 years ago it was very strictly divided into east and west and the west coast were predominantly a Croatian army or Catholics and then they basically put everyone to you know in prisons imprisonment or they just kind of forced them to go over to the east side where predominantly Bosniaks were um, actually before that there was another conflict but that might be a longer story so I we were my family who are Bosnian uh, I'm not religious by the way but that it's that's not a thing in war you know <laughs> no one cares mm -hmm. um, so but we were for the whole duration of that conflict we were basically on the west side as you can imagine a Bosnian family on the west side surrounded by this army we got to see this up close because they would come into your apartment they would threaten you you know there was this psychological aspect of it and I would look into their eyes it was not an abstract thing was was that army Croatian or the Yugoslav no no Croatia okay yeah in the beginning they when the Serbs attacked the Croatians and Bosnians were together and then the Croatians attacked the Bosnians <laughs> so that's why uh, it's never really black and white here. There are always many, many layers. Mm. So, like I said, this experience of, you know, seeing these people basically face to face, uh, that was kind of, not kind of, that was pretty shocking and traumatic. Um, so we've, we've felt the effects of that later on because you can't kind of, you know, get out of an experience like that without any sort of, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Consequence, I guess. Mm. Was the the river sort of like the dividing mark for neighborhoods? In most of the city it was, but not everywhere. Uh, for example, technically right now we're sitting on the west side. Okay, it's yeah. It's that way. But it, that wasn't the line, strictly. Okay. Uh, <clears throat> so in some parts of the city it was, but not all throughout. Do you remember how old you were before you had a a concept of... I don't know, like group membership. I don't know if it's if it's ethnicity or religion or like sort of like that. There were a number of different groups essentially or identities within a certain region. That's and a they kind were, of interesting question. Yeah. I guess around that time, okay. because I remember my mom, w without me asking anything about it, said, "Whenever if someone asks you who or what you are, you say Yugoslav." Mm. You know, to be sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, and this was when I was I don't know seven or eight years old. Because the fear also back then was if you're playing outside or if, you know, they catch you outside, there is, there is a possibility of them kind of just picking you up and deporting you or, you know, throwing you into some sort of prison or something like that. This is a, a history I have a very, like, rudimentary knowledge of. Um, I had been speaking to a photographer who, he actually has an exhibit here too, I think. Uh, it's called War Photo Limited. His name is Wade Goddard. Um, but he was saying, like, his perception was that, uh, the, I guess the word I'm going to say is conflict, but really it's like war, was rooted more in, like, land and, like, what would potentially be national boundaries once everyone separated. Uh, do you have that perception, too, or did it feel more like, a, like an othering of people and sort of like, like a hatred for people? Well... Like I said, we were kids back then, so we didn't really have a concept of what was mm. going on. But obviously, my generation, yeah. and you know, people a little older than me as well, 
looking back and you know kind of researching or or dealing with history or the past um, have kind of figured out that it was certainly that partly but also um, it was kind of obvious that because the majority I guess if you asked people about their ethnicity or religious beliefs were Muslim Bosniaks so the perception in many people's minds is they uh, that a country with a Muslim major, uh, majority couldn't kind of exist in the middle of Europe so that was also one part of it and then you have other aspects of it where people started private, uh, privatizing companies and stuff like that and you know there was a lot of criminal activity going on that they kind of try to um, well provoke a, some sort of conflict to kind of I don't know um, take people's minds off what they were doing mm. so you have all of these kind of different layers in, in people's minds uh, as to why this was going on and then obviously there's this uh, prejudice of oh it's the Balkans every 40-50 years something happens there anyway so there's that as well. Because, yeah. as you know, the First World War officially started in Sarajevo <laughs> and right. stuff like that. So I think that it's a little bit of everything, really. Mm. Um, and certainly <clears throat> there were aspirations to, you know, widen Serbia this way and widen Croatia this way. Because it wasn't just a civil war, as people said. And, you know, it was said at the courts, like international courts. It wasn't simply a civil war. It was aided by kind of other powers outside. It wasn't? Um, wasn't the ceasefire like officially negotiated in the states? In Dayton, Ohio. Dayton, Ohio, yeah. Yeah, that's our constitution. Basically, it was said, okay, this is how the country is going to look like, because as you know, there's a Republika Srpska, the Republic of Srpska, and then there's the federation, and both of those make up the country. And then there are cantons. There are you know like million layers of um, of um, well power. That's why things uh, don't work as smoothly, perhaps. And it's still in, in, in power, this mm. constitution. So, yeah, it was in, uh, in 95 in, uh, in the U.S. I would say in the States that, uh, I hope this is fair to say, that probably the majority of people don't have a really strong handle and idea on, or a strong knowledge of the political process and the way that government really works according to our constitution and the way things are set up. Uh, how politically aware... Do you think people are here? Um, because, because to me, it, it sounds very complicated, but maybe it's not. It is. And yeah. I don't think everyone is aware of how things work either. I mean, by the way, the U.S., uh, the, the way things work in the U.S. is also not as easy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but at that time, I remember reading that the, the way the political system was set up here was unique in the world. I don't know if that's still the case, but mm. it certainly was back then. Um, People are aware, generally, of the kind of layers um, from the local to the kind of, you know, canton, which is kind of a wider, you know, district, I guess. I don't know how you call it in English. Yeah. And then the federation and then, you know, entities, they call it. The federation and then the Republika Srpska, two entities. And then the, there's a district, like you have a district yeah. in the U.S. as well. So those three things make up the whole country. And it, am I correct in thinking that, like, this area falls under, like, Herzegovina? Yeah, well, that's the geographical yeah. sort of okay. divide. Herzegovina is simply the southern part of the country. Okay, that makes sense. Um, and there's, like, a federal leader for every majority population? Um, 
It's kind of difficult <laughs> yeah. to explain. Okay. I think your listeners should just you know read up on that. Yeah, yeah. okay. It okay, would yeah. take too much time. We'll to give people explain homework. Everything. Yeah. Okay. Um, prior to the war breaking out, um, you know, Yugoslavia was a socialist federation, and as is the case when dictatorship often forms, uh, there's repression and suppression of dissent. Uh, often that comes in, in the form of art, right? Because art is often political. Um, how much of like a, of an art scene was there uh, prior to, I guess, the, the Bosnian War? Okay, so a little more about the context. Yeah. It was a socialist uh, federative republic, but before that, there, there, it was a kingdom as well. So quite a few things changed in the course of the 20th century. At the beginning, it was... I. Th- you know, from everything, obviously we weren't alive back then, but from everything we've found out and read and, you know, learned, um, it was pretty brutal. Mm. And then later on, it was more relaxed. It was basically socialism, not much, so much communism. Mm-hmm. So in the 70s and 80s, you, if you speak to people of, you know, older generations who remember this time, they will always say it was the, like the golden age because everything was blooming, arts, um, culture in general, uh, sports specifically. Uh, I don't know if you're aware, but this, well, especially Herzegovina, gave so many uh, great athletes. And not only, uh, you know, half of the Croatian national team is basically from around here. Mm. Uh, Serbian, uh, I used to play basketball, which is very important to me still. Uh, And, you know, a lot of Serbian legends were born you know, somewhere around here as well. A lot of Serbians so, in the NBA too. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, there. Are, you know, you know, you are probably aware that Yugoslavia was one of the best uh, teams in the world, mm-hmm. and Serbia just continued that tradition. Um, so, around that time, 70s and 80s, the scene was basically blooming. You know, mm-hmm. and when it when it comes to art, we have to understand as well that this country, unlike I don't know Germany or France, didn't have this century-long tradition of art schools and you mm-hmm. know. Um, it was more about applied arts. People did that really well. Um, mm. You know, tapestries, uh, what do you call them, doilies. Uh, something I actually use in my work as well. Yeah. I commissioned my mom to do, <laughs> to oh, do really? a few pieces. Yeah. Um, so it was more about that. And then people, I guess, second half of the 20th century, really started educating themselves, going to Vienna to schools, to Germany and stuff like that. So that's where art kind of slowly started catching up with the rest of Europe. It never really did, but... And then in the 70s and 80s, we did have... This is, I mean, a small country, so we did have a few artists who were kind of having breakthroughs. You know, Marina Abramovic, I'm sure you know, from Serbia. Serbia. Uh, Bratso Dimitrievic, who was a conceptual artist from Sarajevo, who kind of, you know, became world famous, basically, Mm. in his field. So, and then there's a group called Zvono from Sarajevo. There's a uh, young artist award named after them who were very progressive in that regards. This was all in the 80s. Mm. So there was a lot of stuff happening, uh, um, 70s and 80s, 80s specifically, I think. Mm. Did any of that have an influence on you at a young age or did you get interested in the arts after the war? I really, to be honest, had, I wasn't aware of ah. a, uh, you know, a lot uh, back then, what was going on. Like I said, you know, if you're a kid, you're basically interested in the same things kids all around the world are interested in. Mm. Except that we played outside much, much more. Actually, almost exclusively. So, mm. um, But I was always... I mean, everyone draws when they're a kid. That's how you kind of express yourself. 
and you know during these times in the war I was told I uh, I don't I have also kind of memory like really big holes in my memory from that period because of the trauma and stuff like that and it extends past that period as well but I was told that during these very very difficult times that I would always draw that's how I would kind of I don't know it was I guess a cathartic experience yeah. somewhat so and I apparently just continue doing that um, when I when we finally uh, fled to Switzerland we managed to get there I apparently this is something I also don't remember I didn't speak for a few months at all but I would draw and um, so I just kind of continued that I wasn't particularly good I don't think mm. uh, I just kind of continued that and then basically in high school I kind of thought this could be something that I could study and you know luckily my mom was also kind of supportive we didn't really think about oh what will we do after college mm. will we get a job and stuff like that <laughs> we should have but we didn't mm. so that kind of crystallized only in high school I would say okay uh, were all men conscripted into the army like was there a draft or um, well at the very beginning in 92 they were I don't know how they set this up but you had the uh, kind of possibility to apply to go with your family to I don't know Sweden Denmark and stuff like that to get out of the conflict zone and then anyone who stayed was basically conscripted I see yeah and so your dad was? Uh, my dad was, and he also kind of volunteered. Uh, mm -hmm. And that is the irony of being in such a small place while this conflict was going on, because we were on the west side, and he was on the east side, kind of fighting against the west side, mm. trying to keep them from advancing over and, and so on. And um, he was killed in the war in 93. But I went to school in that same street, and I was told the exact building where that happened as well. So, you know, those kind of information are really <laughs> kind of abstract to deal with, first of all. And it's just hard to explain, because um, everywhere you look, you have some sort of memory like that. Well, not like that, but, you know, pretty heavy. Yeah, so that's something I was thinking about. And I'm going to come back to uh, your project about your dad. Um, but I was wondering about that because, like, there's this is an area with like immense beauty, right? Where we're sitting in a spot right now, and then in in town in the city, there's there's constant reminders everywhere, right? Like there's building buildings with bullet holes. Uh, Predominantly on the east side. Yeah, yeah, because that's uh, that's where we're staying. Um, because the east side. Sorry to cut you off. Yeah, it was. Okay. They had, you know, let's simplify things better weapons so they basically everything was destroyed around here even the bridge as you know so but the reason you still see um, these buildings in the middle of the city because that is the geographical center where you still can see those mm. which is where I work at the moment again it's there are layers to things so even if you had money to buy this building and turn it into a hotel or whatever you want to do with it you're not very likely to get it unless the politicians who run that part of the city don't get some sort of, you know, cut from it or what. So th that is one of the reasons that we still have hotels which aren't, you know, fixed up or buildings. Which are, it's not that people are lazy, don't want to do it. Obviously, we'd like the city to be, you know, nice um, or and nice looking because it has really great potential. But that is one of the reasons it still doesn't happen sometimes. 
Yeah, I, and I was wondering sort of like the, if, I don't know if, if you can even like determine this, but the effect on people's psyche, seeing those reminders of war. That's very interesting. It's something that I am constantly aware of. And obviously that emotion kind of wears off, as sad as that sounds, because you're walking there every day to school or to work or whatever. Yeah. And people usually say, oh, we're used to it. Not really, because I don't. I think subconsciously it still affects you. You know, if you're a small kid who was born, I don't know, 10 years ago only, you don't know what war is or conflict is, but you still see that. Mm-hmm. It must have some sort of effect on you, I'm sure. Yeah. Even if they're not particularly aware of it, but I firmly believe that it does have effect on you. Yeah, does that kind of play into your, uh, is it 21 Doors, your project? Um... Yeah, uh, well, that one, wow, you really did some research. Yeah. <laughs> It's an older uh, work. There is a photographer, Swiss photographer actually, Robert Heuser, I believe was his name. When I was a student, I was going through these books, you know, about the history of photography and so on. And so one of his works I saw in that book was 21 Doors of Benito Mussolini, because he went to one of his villas and photographed it, you know. Oh, wow. With a very simple composition, three times seven doors, right? And uh, I always liked photography, which was made up of multiple parts. And so that kind of stuck with me. And as I was documenting things around the city, like, you know, years and years ago, when I was a student, I was documenting, photographing walls, doors, bricked uh, windows and stuff like that. Um, As you know, doors are often used as a symbol of kind of a new beginning, new possibilities and something positive. But around the center of the city, you only saw these doors, which really didn't show any sort of promise of a new beginning or something that was hopeful. And I... It reminded me of this composition that I saw years ago. So that's why I kind of put it up. It's kind of a, a quote, I guess, mm. if you will. Yeah, okay. Uh, I said I'd go back to the project. Uh, I'd like if you can talk about thereafter. Um, last night I was pulling some stuff up uh, to prepare for this, and I had the same thought that you had where uh, it was a different video project you did, but the audio for it, Leslie, was like, oh, this is kind of haunting. Um, and, I, and I felt that way also looking at Thereafter. Um, so I was wondering if you could talk through what that project is. Oh, okay. Well, Thereafter is a short video that I made using family photographs. Mm. Um, it's the first time I did something like that, similar to those um, pictures you saw probably where it's a montage of different things. Those are all things that I did for the very first time, but I thought it's the perfect form to represent a certain idea. So I did that last year there after the video, uh, before my 36th birthday, because when my father died, he was 36. So now I'm older than he ever will be. Um, and I did something previously about him where I was drawing him because I don't have any uh, recordings of him, moving images, because we didn't have cameras. I mean, people did, but my family didn't. (laughs) It was only still photographs. Um, And so, like I said, I have this memory loss. I only remember certain things. When people would ask me about him, I would always repeat the same stories. And so in one of those statements that I wrote on the website underneath the work, I always say that if you repeat, you know, the same thing over and over again, it becomes sort of impersonal and you can removed from it. And so I wanted to do something where I would make him blink or move or, you know, just to create a different kind of atmosphere. So I took our family pictures and I animated him using different apps and my knowledge and, you know, my limited knowledge in editing and Photoshop and stuff like that and made him sort of move. 
there are certain things at certain moments in that video which were really, you know, I was even shocked by. Because you suddenly see a person coming alive from a picture and it looks authentic. And the sound you mentioned is the room I mentioned that he was killed in. Uh, I found out who owns it and I went with this guy, we opened it up and I measured it. And based on those measurements, we calculated frequencies. I don't know how you, this works because this guy was an electronic musician. He explained everything to me. So we calculated, you know, some frequencies which would come out come out of those measurements, and we picked like a group of low frequencies and a group of high frequencies, um, and we recorded them. And then there's a bit of his voice which my sister recorded by accident. Uh, he was just talking about something very casually. And then I just stretched that over those frequencies to create this haunting feeling because that's exactly what I wanted. And it was sort of, you know, sort of an experiment, but it you know, fit really well to the visuals. Yeah, I think if that's what you wanted, it, yeah. <laughs> it was successful. <laughs> um, is there, uh, here in Mostar, is there a place for you to showcase your art, or is like Sarajevo like the center of art in Bosnia? Um, well, in a capital city in any country, you will, you will have more opportunities, more stuff. There are things in Mostar you can do, obviously, but Banja Luka is also very, uh, a very good place for art. Um, the thing is, I really haven't, I can't actually remember the last time I exhibited in Mostar. I, don't, I didn't do many exhibitions or participate in many projects like that. Not because I'm avoiding it or anything, it's just, you know, life. Uh, I, I recently built a house, uh, you know, it's wor you have to deal with work and, you know, all that stuff. So life happens and I don't do these artworks just to exhibit them. But I was, uh, I had this idea of completing a few works and then I would do some sort of exhibition project or something like that. And I might do that very soon because thereafter was one of those works I wanted to complete as well. Mm. So yeah, in Mostar there are places you can exhibit things, obviously. But uh, you know, let's see. Yeah, cool. You know, in most places it's pretty difficult to live off your art. <laughs> um, uh, here it's impossible. Yeah. So that's why we don't even try. Yeah. As I said, I work as an art teacher, have been for quite a few years, so. Uh, that's how you pay your bills. Not, and, you know, besides, who, whom would I, you know, sell a three-minute animation that mm. I drew by hand of my father? <laughs> it's kind of difficult to do. Yeah, I mean, that, that does make sense. So it's not even, uh, you know, a goal of mine when I create these works. Mm. Uh, just sort of like um, my, what I would assume about the city and also reading what, what's kind of like your artist statement in describing like the place that you're making your art from. Uh, it, it, is it still a place that is uh, in 2022? By the way, there goes one of my former students. Really? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, go on. No, no, that's okay. Uh, is it still a place that is divided? Uh, in many ways it is. Um... Politically, I guess definitely it is. There are two part, major parties who say they represent, you know, the Croatians and they say they represent the Bosniaks. Um, but the people themselves are moving kind of normally freely through the city. You know, it's not exactly as 96 where I was beaten up when I went over to the west side because my name was too Bosnian, you know. That sort of stuff used to happen all the time. 
And there are incidents still sometimes, mostly with football clubs and, uh, and uh, their fans, because that's also being used to divide people. But obviously it's not the same as 20, 25 years ago. In some regards there is, you know, a divide, but I, you know, normal people are normal everywhere. I guess that's how I would describe it. Yeah, I would, you know, it's always my assumption that that kind of stuff would change with each coming generation and especially having the internet. Uh, but it feels like globally the, the structures in power are really fighting against that and doing their best to like keep us in our separate teams. And doing a good job of it. Yeah, yeah. But the thing is that it is, it is true with the new generations, you know, things are more relaxed, but unfortunately I have to say, and I see this, excuse me, I see mm -hmm. this myself, parents who did live through those conflicts. I, I know there are theories that you need a few generations to kind of get rid of trauma and stuff like that. But I see people educating their children to, you know, not to distrust at least this group of people and, you know, let's stick to our own and so on. Mm. So you still have that uh, happening as well. But yeah, you're right. Newer generations also just want to, you know, look up stuff on TikTok or whatever it's called because I'm no, no social media. Uh, and they just want to be like the rest of Europe and the rest of the world. Mm. But as you mentioned, you know, the leaders trying to keep us in our separate kind of um, separate sides. I think that's also a cyclical thing. Mm. You know, it would come back around to a more normal, let's say, perception. It's like the weather. It always, it takes maybe a few years, but it, it, it always changes. Well, I'm glad to hear that you're hopeful about that. I... We, what, what choice do we have? Yeah. Uh, if, I, if I didn't, if I was just, you know, thinking about what was happening 30 years ago and, you know, feeling really miserable, then you can't do anything. Mm. If you're young here in Mostar and you do have a progressive mindset and you do want to have a diverse community and a diverse group of friends, uh, where are you going in the city to hang out and what are you doing? Well, for example, one of the schools I work at is an international school called United World College. And I don't know if you're aware of it. It's an IB school, but it's a very unique sort of network of schools across the world. Mm. You have one in Hong Kong, one in Singapore, one in India, uh, Norway, and so on. It's a movement that was started in the 60s. The first one was in Wales, actually. And the, that's, it's a high school, uh, like the two final years of high school, I guess I would describe it. And kids from all over, and I mean literally from all over the world, come to Mostar to live together and to go to school here. And everything is in English. And that's where I work. And I have colleagues from all over the world as well. So that's number one. And that school is um, literally on the dividing line, which was a d dividing line in the war. It's something that I kind of like to mention to people because it's very symbolic, I, I think. So that's one. Um, and then obviously, you know, if you go, I don't know, to artists in residence uh, projects like, you know, I did and you have make friends and uh, my fr currently one of my oldest friends in, is back in Mostar. He lives in Berlin. He's a film director. So we hang out and his wife is uh, German and, you know, it's, it just <laughs> happens because the world is not as small as it used to be. So it's, there, there's plenty of that going on. We were hanging out with someone in Dubrovnik who went to school here, who went to university here. Um, and as much as, as possible, we try to do 
you know, what local people are doing in the area. So, of course, we're going to see the bridge, but we're probably not going to hang out at the shops all day and, you know, buy souvenirs. <laughs> His suggestion for us was, he said, you have to go to the, the Partisan Cemetery. So I was like, okay, um, which I think we'll, we'll do, but also, like, something that's, that's quite heavy on the emotions. Um, while we're here, what is something or some things that you think that we, like, absolutely have to do? Right. Well, first of all, the reason I suggested us meeting by the old bridge is because I thought everyone knows where it is. Mm -hmm. That's the only reason. Uh, to be honest, I don't go out almost at all uh, because I built this little house outside of the city and it's green and, you know, I have people coming over there. And so um, I have never really went out that much. At the Parts part and Cemetery, just to say a few things about that, um, I'm, I'm sure you read about it and, yeah, that certain things keep happening to it the people vandalizing it yeah he told us that too yeah. yeah but it's it's again too long of a story to get into but it you know it's being devastated over and over again uh, quite recently again uh, I think it was the they made the biggest damage the last time around so but you should definitely go and see it um, now would it be really awkward if I told you that I don't know what bars are really hip right now because... No, 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 it's okay. <laughs> I didn't go... But actually, you know, around the old town where we are right now, there are certain th bars, certain restaurants uh, over there um, that you can check out. I would definitely suggest just to walk around the city um, because you can go get anywhere uh, on foot. It's a small city. Just to, to get a feel for it, just to see it. Right now, where we are is mostly, you know, small family houses because the city was built around the river. And when you go further, you know, west, you have more apartment buildings and stuff like that. But you also have very nice restaurants. So I would say just kind of, you know, do a lap or two. Um, recently, there was a gallery um, that was opened. There was a guy who bought a company here from Israel, like a millionaire or billionaire even, I don't know. And one of the, his projects was to um, reconstruct this old gallery and exhibit his collection there, which is apparently worth over um, $300 million. And you can see a Modigliani there, you can see a Degas there, a Matisse, uh, and so on. So that's uh, something that's new and um, I guess worth seeing. Uh, other than that, uh, I'll, I'll ask around. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, you mentioned football clubs. When I was walking around yesterday, I saw the graffiti everywhere that said Red Army. and On the east side. Yes, yes, sorry. Uh, and so in my mind, I'm immediately thinking, like, it's, this is something connected to war times. But uh, no. is that the football club? It's the fans of the football club village. They oh. call themselves the Red Army. Because, you know, it, the red jerseys. Yeah, yeah. And then you have the Ultras which is Rinsky, the Croatian football club on the west side. So people take it very seriously. Yeah, like I said, they use that to, you know, for division as well. Well, again, long story, Velez was kicked out of their own stadium where Rinsky is now playing because it was on the west side. So, um, so yeah, as, as we're sitting here, we see this little box that's painted, like mm -hmm. this electricity thing. It's painted in the colors of those fans. It became a thing where they painted all these electrical, you know, uh, boxes ah. um, and yeah the Red Army is simply the name of the fans of the football club village because they have red jerseys are there games every week? I think it, they're on break now it's okay. summer I, like I said I'm a basketball player I, yeah 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 <laughs> uh, but it's um, 
it's, I guess, also a success story because this club was, um, it was, you know, bankrupted and uh, not led really well, kicked out of their own stadium. And they recently, you know, I guess, got it together and qualified. They played in Euro European competitions. Mm. It's, again, a very small club. So people were quite happy uh, about that. Uh, they won the cup in the country. It's also kind of a big deal. So it's, it's all mm. good stuff. Yeah. You mentioned that you haven't uh, featured anything in a gallery recently, but I'm wondering if there's any current projects that you're working on or what the future holds. Right. That's a really good question. <laughs> there's always ideas. There's always little things that I'm working on, but nothing as, you know, some of those things that you saw on the website took two or three years on and off. Um, nothing as big as that, but I actually do have an idea about a basketball player, believe it or not, because behind the school that I mentioned, I read an article, I have to check this. I don't know if I should give this information away, but I'm gonna. Okay. Because um, I, I read this article that a guy actually came with his mom from New York to Mostar, because his mom was from Mostar, huh. to go to gymnasium, to high school here, to finish high school. This was in 1925. And he brought with him this new game everyone was playing, uh, where you throw some ball into a basket. And apparently they started playing this um, version, some version of the sport behind the school. And this article says, and this is what we need to check out, uh, that this is the first place in the whole country where uh, basketball started being played. I think this is an incredible information. Yeah. It makes me really happy because I use, that's how I use my brakes. I have a ball in my trunk of my car. And when I don't have classes, I actually go and shoot. Um, I actually sometimes have meetings with my students on the basketball court. Um, so in the same place, apparently, this is where 100 years ago, this guy brought basketball. It, how, did, how did you come across that information? There's a book someone wrote about, like, you know, some great figures in sports. And one article was about this guy. Uh, I mean, we know that he went to school here, that's for sure. But it would be worth checking out if this is at least one of the first places that basketball started being played. At that time, pretty new sport, because... James Naismith invented it like 30 years prior to that, so. Yeah. No, I think that's awesome. I mean, especially because I was thinking about this and like how to word this, but um, I, I had two episodes in Dubrovnik. Um, I'm meeting you here. I, I'm researching people because we're going to go, we're trying to make it to see Leslie's friend in, well, we are going to make it to see Leslie's friend in Berlin. Um, And so we're sort of busing our way up there. And so we're going to go to Sarajevo, Zagreb, Slovenia. And everybody, everyone that I've been finding to, to reach out to, to talk to, like, there's always a connection back to kind of like tragedy and to war. Um, well, and, it wasn't our choice. <laughs> no, no, right, right, right. Yeah, I, I don't mean it to, like, to place blame on anyone, but um, in my head I'm almost thinking, like, that, you know, that's nowhere near like the full story of a place, right? Uh, it's, it's pervasive, um, but I want to also focus on, you know, things that are, that are beautiful and are interesting in a way that, that's not connected back to, to pain, right? So. Well, and I agree with you, you know, this friend who's, uh, who's here right now, we hang out a ton. Actually, we had a little barbecue in my place last night. Um, and we actually remind ourselves of this constantly. He's, especially he, is one of those people who doesn't want to look back, which I don't also think is a solution, you know, just to kind of ignore everything. But like I said, it, we, 
are not sitting around talking about what we went through all day. It's just not how life works. And, um, and we're not doing that because we read somewhere, oh, this is not good for your psyche or whatever. We just we kind of feel that <laughs> this is the natural way to go forward without forgetting, you know, what happened. Well, like I said, some of these things, you know, will come up all the time because you feel the consequences of what you went through. If you have a, you know, car accident, you will feel the consequence of that. I mean, it just goes without saying. But we're not sitting around talking about tragedy all day. We're trying to do the best in our everyday lives, you know. When you go to work, you're not thinking about the big picture. You're thinking about how to, you know, talk to the student right now. You're thinking about how to explain, I don't know, how what gothic painting was in Italy, you know, before the Renaissance and so on. So, like I said, like most people everywhere, that's yeah. how people live here. Um, but yeah, there's this thing that happened and it, we, it can really be ignored. And it's part of our lives and it shapes, uh, shaped us definitely. Um, but like you said, it's not the full story of a place. It's not the full story of a person even. And as we were sitting last night, I'm sorry, you tell me if I'm going on for No, no, this is, it's very interesting to me. <laughs> no, because uh, we were sitting, you know, having this barbecue and we were talking about how uh, a lot of people wanted to interview me not because of, you know, the artworks, because of my experiences and so on. People who came to Mostar or to Sarajevo for the first time, they wanted to talk to someone who experienced things firsthand. And I really don't mind talking about it. I don't feel any, some sort of, I don't know, uncomfortable or pain uh, about it. It's always this problem of I don't want to be too superficial because you'll hear many, many similar experiences from other people. Um, similar experiences to mine, I mean. It's not a unique thing. Unfortunately, war is also not unique to this place. And so when the things in Ukraine started happening, we, it was just too familiar. Mm. But except that, you know, nowadays you basically you follow it live. You see exactly what's happening, and um, back then it was obviously a different world, mm. right? And uh, people, like you said, people in the U.S. may not know much about what was going on, but I, why should they? You know, sometimes I ask, but why should they? Mm. It's really far away. It's a huge country. Why should they know exactly what's what happened? Mm. So, but whenever someone is interested. And they, you know, read upon, uh, uh, about it and they talk to people and have some sort of open mind about it. I, I think that's great. Uh, I could, because of my experiences, you know, blame only one side and, you know, certain people and so on. But I could never do that. Because, hmm. again, it's not, you can't live like that. I'll have a goal uh, before I hang it up one day with, with doing the podcast, which is, is really just a passion project. But um, I would like to at least have one person representing every country uh, in the world and you were the first person from, from this country to be on the podcast so uh, I'm grateful for that uh, I'm uh, appreciative of the time for showing us this place I'm about to order some food because I'm starving excellent, um, me too but, but to learn from you and to, to get to know you now is, uh, is really an honor so thanks so much for doing this thank you, thank you guys cool. cheers alright Voyagers that is a wrap on episode 277 of the Voyages of Tim Vetter podcast. It's the first person I've had on from, from Bosnia, from Bosnia and uh, Herzegovina. So that's, I don't know, that always makes me happy when I can have someone from a country that I haven't covered before. Uh, and I'm really happy to know him now. As is like always the case, I don't know if I say this enough, but if you're ever going to a place 
uh, that I've been to or have mentioned or have interviewed somebody from and you want information about people to reach out to or a good contact or a connect or places, you can always shoot me an email at thevoyagesoftimvetter at gmail.com and I'm happy to connect. Uh, just connected with someone out in Dublin who's looking to start up a podcast and had a little chat about some tips and things like that. So always happy to help uh, contribute and to meet people and to grow the community. Um, all that stuff makes me happy. So be sure to reach out. Uh, please share the podcast with a friend, with a loved one, with somebody you think might be interested in it. And I will keep doing my best to give you interesting content and conversations from around the world. Okay, Voyagers, thanks again for listening. And as always, please take care of each other. I will catch you very, very soon.